What up? Happy Friday, Daniel. Happy Friday. That's my favorite two words in the English language. Always great. <laughs> always great. It's always good when you hit a Friday. It is, in fact, Friday. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Business Casual. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. I'm your other host, Tyler Kern. Wow, here we are. It's been another great week here at The Scale. We had some some fun conversations in the office yesterday. We had Trog. His real name is Matthew Trogdon. <laughs> <laughs> he is the vice president um, of Bonton Farms here in Dallas. Uh, their mission and their vision is so inspiring. Um, but they've also managed to bring a lot of economic prosperity to an oft-forgotten and um, often targeted and actually attacked community yeah. in the Dallas Metroplex, yeah. um, a community that suffers from 50% like diabetes or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, he was breaking down some stats. It was really, really surprising. So y'all should definitely go check out that interview. Um, we also interviewed him for a narrative podcast, yeah. which, which we're working on. It's, it's a slow chug because there's so many people to get perspectives on. But the locally sourced food game is deep and detailed. There's a lot of people to talk to about. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty incredible story, and uh, you're working away on it. So yeah, it's an exciting time here at Market Scale. It's an exciting time just around the world, Daniel. As the markets kind of were just very, uh, it, it was a very topsy turvy week. Let's say that much. After uh, President Trump tweeted that tariffs would be delayed, so that kind of boosted the markets. Anyways, all that to say that the markets start up today uh, here on September 13th. On this day in history, Daniel, did you? No. On September 13th, 1985, Super Mario Brothers game first appeared for Nintendo. Really? Did you ever play a Super Mario game? I know you're, I mean, you kind of play some video games. In for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, Mario is just, I think, one of those super accessible. It's kind of like the gateway drug, but gateway totally. game to games. It's just, it's, it's fun, simple, straightforward, intuitive. Um, it definitely revolutionized things, but... So happy 34th birthday happy to 34th. Super Mario. My, my favorite Mario games are probably like the, the Mario Karts or the okay. Super Smash Bros, which isn't sure. a Mario game, but you've got Mario in the mix. It's kind of in that same... Yeah, well, I mean, look, he built a game, and now Mario is a global brand. Yeah, now it's an empire. It's an empire. Yeah, the yeah. Mario empire. I mean, I first started off playing that side-scrolling, you know, the the original one on the original, you know, NES, yeah. Nintendo and so it was uh, a pretty incredible thing, you know, to kind of see it evolve. And then you got to the Nintendo 64 version, which was, you know, 3D looking and in this kind of expansive world, not yeah. just a side scroller. And all of a sudden it's just this whole new world of, of video game. It was <laughs> wild. But Mario, you've man. got the you've got the Roman Empire. The Ottoman Empire, the Mario Empire. The Mario Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But we have a big show coming up. We have uh, Nick Bruce, who works here at MarketScale, checking in from Cedia Expo up in Denver. Now, Cedia Expo is the event that's making smart homes genius. That's what they have on their website. But it's it's a smart home tech uh, show. So he's going to check in with us from Denver coming up at 8.15 Central, so in about 12 minutes from now. We're also going to take a look at what the NFL is trying to do Mm. to find a safer helmet. So I'm very curious about this. Also, we have some updates 
kind of to the future of textbooks. I used to work at a textbook store in college, so I, oh, this, this that's news to this me. This story, uh, you know, caught my uh, caught my attention as Pearson has made an announcement about the future of textbooks. So we're going to take a look at that as well coming up on the show. But first, Daniel, we need to go to the state of California. We do. There's a lot of hot news coming out of Cali. Um, you know, on one hand, we had all the Uber news that we talked about on our last episode of Business Casual, um, but this time. We're chatting about solar energy in California. So recently, uh, there was a California bill that was signed by Governor Newsom. Uh, This was in the first week of September. And basically, it's a bill that's protecting tax protections for rooftop solar installations. So this uh, started back in 2013. Um, that California allowed for energy generated by rooftop solar to be explicitly exempt from taxation from cities and counties utility users tax. Um, and th- basically there was a provision. It lasted through about 2019. They voted to extend this exemption for another seven years that was set to expire in December. Um, so we're seeing California further try to incentivize people to go solar and in a really independent way too. I mean, California leads the country in solar right now. It has enough solar installed to power 6.5 million homes. It gets about 19% of its energy in solar, Hmm. almost a fifth of its energy from solar, which is pretty incredible. That is pretty incredible. And prices are down 34% over the last five years for solar products. So it's becoming just a generally more democratized product, Mm -hmm. more accessible product. Um, It's created 76,000 solar jobs in California. So the solar industry in California is exploding and it's continuing to grow because of some of these direct incentives from the state government. Most definitely. Um, The growth of solar in California hasn't come without some strains, though, which I think are important to talk about. There were some recent studies from ETH Zurich, which is in Switzerland. They pointed that the state's current plan, which actually now... So this is now a little outdated, but with the extension of the seven years, this this argument really isn't quite as relevant anymore, but it's still important to break down. Basically, before we renewed this, um, the plan was a bit outdated because the bill could push people to rely less on the grid, which then put costs for electric utilities on a smaller group of people, pushing okay. up bills and making electricity more expensive in general. So that's like this this balance, right? As sure. you bring in something new to market that to some degree is, is a common, uh, like energy, um, but there is you know a public sector for it and a private sector for it, Balancing out how both can coexist is extremely crucial or else you end up sabotaging either the private sector or the public sector for energy. Um, But I just think in general it's a really consumer-empowering, decentralized approach to bringing solar to California and fostering it as a part of the community as well as attempting to reach global emission standards and setting a precedent for the rest of the country. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this this incentive from the uh, from the state government. So my question is: Is solar being, I guess, um, more more widely adopted by wealthy folks? I guess or wealthy residents of California, which then pushes those higher costs onto um, the lower income areas. Is that kind of what what that study from Zurich was saying? It, it basically, because basically, and this this plays into another chunk here I haven't mentioned yet, but solar has not even though 
there's jobs, even though the price has gone down, there isn't total solar equity in California yet. Right. Recent study by the Energy Policy did the first peer-reviewed analysis on distributed solar adoption in disadvantaged communities. Very focused study, very new. They found that low income is a big factor in predicting who adopts solar, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, low educational attainment rates. So a general lack of access to information Mm -hmm. and education around energy policy, around solar versus paying for you know your utility bills like it that's just not making its way to the average low income maybe less educated member of a community sure so yes basically solar because it's more still a little more accessible and a little more appealing to affluent people or just people that can afford to install full solar panels on the roof of their home that also obviously you have to assume that this is a homeowner, which is yeah. another kind of um, stratus that you have to break into. Um, yeah, it ends up pushing the burden of the social, the public network yeah. onto lower income families. So it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, I think in general, it's a great initiative. I mean, we're getting, I do too. yeah, we're getting solar. And we're seeing California set a standard for this is what a state can do to incentivize renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's a general issue with technology accessibility. I don't think it's unique to solar. I just think tech, access to tech, education around tech um, is still pretty limited and still pretty focused to people that can generally afford it or who have the public infrastructure to make it happen. So Yeah, yeah. and I think you're right about all the things that you've said. And also, it's probably worth pointing out that solar is still a maturing you know aspect right. of the energy industry and a maturing energy provider and so getting in at this point is probably smart because right. we're going to see it continue to become more efficient continue to get better and continue to probably uh, be a little bit cheaper moving forward and so exactly. getting in now is probably a good plan um so we've talked in the past just about various delivery systems and how it relates to retail well walmart is kind yeah. of diving into this game with a new plan daniel okay users Break can pay down. 98 dollars per year to receive unlimited grocery deliveries to their homes. Walmart says it plans to reach more than 50% of the country with this service by the end of the year. So 98 bucks, but unlimited delivery for the rest of the year. It's uh, expanding a new unlimited grocery delivery service, and it's going to come to 1,400 stores this coming fall. Now, Tom Ward, their senior vice president of Walmart's digital operations, uh, said in a statement, by pairing our size and scale and these services, we're making Walmart the easiest place to shop. So uh, a lot of effort and a lot of time has been spent by retailers like Walmart, like Target, uh, and like other outlets trying to compete with what Amazon is doing. Do you think a $98 per year unlimited grocery delivery is kind of a a good way to do it for Walmart? I mean, I think yes. Uh, I mean, this is something that is... I think relatively new to market, so it's hard for me to give a, a super educated opinion on this. Right. But it does bring up some thoughts on the actual delivery methods, the infrastructure, sure, like the the network of drivers, the network of of delivery systems and tech to make it efficient that could actually make this viable. Um, I, I I don't know. We see Amazon. Uh, pushing for faster delivery all the time, you know, making it so you can order something and from the fulfillment to your door, it's same day. Um, that's pretty revolutionary. Yeah. 
when you're talking about groceries, you obviously need same-day delivery. I mean, you're dealing with perishables here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it just makes me wonder what kind of fulfillment centers are they going to have? How are they going to integrate drivers into this network? Um, are they going to be contracted out? Are they going to hire a new fleet of drivers? Are they sure. going to outsource this to like a, an independent company, a third party that has their own set of drivers and fleets? I'm not sure. Uh, and I think that is probably what needs to be talked about more because that's con- that's totally contingent on this being a success. Yeah, no, you, you're totally right. Uh, they say that typically on uh, an order by order basis, delivery would cost an additional ten bucks. Okay. So uh, if you do that, ninety eight dollars per year or twelve ninety five per month to release receive that unlimited, uh, it seems like it's a it's a good investment. You know, uh, yeah, in, in yeah. theory, because you're going to get groceries delivered more than twice a month. My question is, do people that adopted and kind of use Amazon Fresh and use Amazon to, you know, get Whole Foods and, yeah, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. That's th- Those are more like premium, kind of high-end, sure. I suppose, groceries. Will the people that enjoy, I don't know, maybe not enjoy, but do the people that frequent Walmart, are they interested in having groceries delivered? Is that Or is that seen as something that's no, other people do that. We don't do that. Right? It, it, does that make sense? Does, yeah, no, for sure. It, well, does I mean, delivery <laughs> serve the serve the person that goes to Walmart? Like, is that something that that person is is interested in? Right. I, I don't have an answer to that. No, I mean, me neither. But it is interesting that you know Walmart is like one of the most successful uh, internationally recognized companies, um, and yet its brand is very much like. The accessible grocer, the everything warehouse grocer um, that is kind of even more accessible than like your warehouse Costco or your warehouse um, Sam's Club because obviously you got to pay for like a subscription to go there. So, right, right. so yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if the core audience that shops at Walmart is going to have the money, is going to have the um, – just the general resources to order and get their groceries delivered. Now, mm-hmm. it would be interesting if with this, there is a focus to get groceries to, for example, the food deserts that we were talking about with Matthew Trogdon, mm-hmm. Trog, VP of Bonton Farms yesterday. You know, there are areas in cities, for example, this community of Bonton in Dallas it was a three-hour round trip to get to the nearest grocery store to get any sort of access to fresh right. fruits, veggies, meat, anything like that. And that's just not feasible for people uh, to block out three hours of their day to transport and lug perishables on like a bus network. So I wonder if this accessibility to delivery of groceries mm-hmm. might actually, I don't know, bring more groceries to people that maybe don't have access to them i, I don't know i, I guess i the, would love to I, I would love to see if that's yeah. the case um the, the, and, the price difference is i guess that 10 extra dollars is that going to be a make or break for most sure. people that shop at walmart i i'm not sure well we'll have to see moving forward but it, it's interesting just seeing how different companies are finding different ways to try to compete with this new world that walmart or that amazon has created in the retail landscape all right daniel we need to take a very quick break and when we get back we have nick bruce on the line he is checking in from cedia expo so don't go anywhere we'll be right back boom 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 today's content is brought to you by market scale do you run a b2b business 
Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today. All right, Daniel, on the line, we have our man, Nick Bruce, checking in from Denver, Colorado. He's at Cedia Expo. Nick, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We are doing great. Just holding it down here in Dallas while oh, yeah. you're up in the mountains. Uh, tell us a little bit about CD Expo. What did you experience yesterday there at the uh, the first day of the show? Oh, man, it is fantastic up here. It's like the, the CES for, for home automation. Um, the, the door was really open yesterday, and there's thousands of people walking through the expo. Um, it's a, a beautiful convention and right in the middle of the Colorado Rockies, obviously, in Denver. And when you walk in, there's just some really fantastic booths set up. So many new high technology that's really advancing um, how people are going to live, right? There's some really cool things there controlling how lights work, how home audio works, how experiences to design home and commercial spaces with Pro AV technology works. Um, and that's just really scratching um, the surface. There's so much more I'm looking forward to experiencing today. Absolutely. So one of the things that you pointed out just kind of as we were talking yesterday was that you enjoyed the VR to design uh, commercial and residential movie theaters. Talk a little bit about that. What did you see and what, what's going on there in that world of uh, virtual reality? Yeah, that was hands down my favorite. There was this really cool company called Modus Technology. And I was lucky enough to actually put on the headset and try their demo. And basically what this was is, is a big problem that home integrators have uh, in the pro AV world say, you know, someone wants to design a home theater uh, inside their house and you have your room. And generally the way it's done now, it takes a lot of time, a lot of trial and error whenever you're designing a home, when you get to think about, all right, well, how big of a screen do I want? All right. And then is that screen going to be too big or too small? What's the right amount of size of, of projection that's going to be optimal for the size of room. Okay. And then you start to think about our right, well, where do I, my speakers need to be. Do they need to be farther to the left, farther to the right, more up front, more up back, depending on where the seats are? And so you have all these different moving parts. And whenever you're doing that manually, um, it takes a lot of trial and error, and it can take up to months to actually design something like this, which in turn, for these integrators, for these pro AV companies, that really slows down the sales process. It kills it completely. And what this virtual reality allows these companies to do is when someone puts on this headset, they can actually – you know, obviously go and, and be quote unquote in their, their, their to be movie room and design it while in virtual reality. And the technology allows them to, to visualize what is going to work and what's not. So you can literally design your whole room, feel like you're actually in there, understand what it's going to feel like. The architect or the designer can throw a couple different ideas at you in an hour, as opposed to bringing stuff to the house multiple times over, over months. So what used to take months can now take you know, an hour to really fully conceptualize how to design a home theater. Um, and VR is allowing these people to do that. It's truly incredible. Wow. That's really incredible. And it's really a uh, convergence of a number of different industries, right? You've got kind of your software and tech there with virtual reality, but then also the, the architecture mm -hmm. aspect to it, the pro AV aspect to it. If you're, you know, designing a home theater, it's really a coming together of so many different B2B industries that we cover here on a regular basis. And that has to be a really cool thing just to see at this one show, how many different industries are all working together in this kind of smart home space. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they all they all completely mesh. 
um, another cool company I saw was called Oro, um, and they design, um, they're, they're a lighting manufacturer. And, and basically what they design or what they develop is a new tech of, of lighting that learns your moods and understands how, how to save energy and when you want light and when you don't. So, for example, Tyler, if every morning you like to wake up at 7.30, walk in your kitchen and make coffee, the light is going to turn on as you walk in um, so it, it learns your, your, your methods to be able to turn on lights and turn them off whenever you, uh, need them and don't. It's really, really cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just wonder how, uh, this, this push for, um, smart homes is affecting these businesses and what the market itself looks like. I mean, based on your conversations, were people feeling pretty optimistic about the growth of the market and that it's only going to continue to expand and explode? Um, absolutely. I, I think optimism is the general theme uh, amongst all these uh, manufacturers and integrators and, and dealers. And I had a chance to ask a lot of them. You know, a lot of them had some really um, expensive tech and a common uh, new push of type of pro, audio, uh, pro AV speaker I saw was a lot of outdoor speakers uh, for patios, things that have a really good amount of weatherability, can stand outside for a really long time. Um, but some of these rigs were costing up to $16,000, um, which obviously the, the average home buyer isn't really going to be able to, to afford. Obviously, they, you can. Some of them can. But that's not your typical um, market that you're selling to. And um, so I asked a lot of these people, you know, how much of this is commercial? And they said a lot of them are, are really starting to move into the B2B space. So while the residential market's growing because the market's so good, B2B is also growing now also with these um, Pro-AV speaker companies. That's really awesome to hear and, and really, really incredible just to hear kind of that state of the marketplace. Nick, what are you looking forward to today as you uh, as you head back out there uh, for, for your second day there at Cedia? Oh, man, I'm just along for the ride. Yesterday was a whirlwind. I got to see so much new tech. I'm, I'm expecting more of the same today. Um, whichever boost, I, I didn't have a chance to go by. Um, I'm about to go by today and get some great footage. We really covered quite a lot of ground yesterday uh whatever's left today is what i'll cover and i'll absolutely keep you guys updated um through social media and twitter and um let you know what the the deal is it's going to be a lot of fun perfect well we expect a full update when you get back but uh have a great time up there in denver and well uh we'll talk to you on monday peace man all right thanks guys that is nick bruce he's our business development manager here well one of several business development managers here at market scale yes Holding it down up in uh, Denver, Colorado. I bet the weather's really nice up there, Daniel. Yeah. Are you a little envious? Yeah. I mean, the good thing is that every morning that I wake up and head to uh, to the DART station or to the Uber that's taken me to work that morning, it is not quite as hot anymore. I'm starting to feel those cooler mornings. It's true. So, I don't know. It is, uh, it is exciting. I am hoping that <laughs> we break out of these 90-plus degree days soon. It would be a beautiful Please. thing. I want those '80s back. I want the '70s back. It would be a it would be a very very nice thing Please. for our very our very limited scope of fall here in <laughs> Dallas, Texas. All right, as we talk about fall, one of the things that comes along with that, Daniel, is football. Now, football, uh, football, not well, not, not that football. No, no. football, F- football. Yeah, more. Yeah, there American, yeah. American football. America. 
Uh, and one of the conversations that's occurred around football recently has been about head injuries and concussions specifically. Uh, that has really kind of come more into the forefront as more and more prominent uh, former football players have spoken out about their mental condition kind of after the game. And statistics yeah. have continued to show that playing football is not good for your long-term brain health and things of that nature. So. After a long time of kind of, uh, I think, trying to fight a PR battle on this front, the NFL has actually now started to try to find solutions for, okay, if football is in fact dangerous, what can we do to make it a safer game? So they've now put up $3 million to fill that, to find out who can build a better helmet, and they're calling it the Helmet Challenge. So for $3 million, it's an 18-month contest to see uh, if any company can create uh, equipment that outperforms anything else that's currently in use. So the money includes $2 million in development capital mm. and a further $1 million as a winner's prize, basically. Interesting. Um, and I'm curious to see what's been a, what's able to come out of this because scientists have been saying, okay, concussions aren't something that really better equipment can do a lot to, to prevent. A concussion is really the brain kind of moving around inside your skull, basically, and being bruised that way. Now, obviously, hard and jarring hits. Like, if you can kind of absorb more of that impact, I suppose maybe you limit the number of concussions. But, right. Um, as, uh, again, re- recently, earlier this week, Rob Gronkowski, famous uh, former NFL uh, football player, he, plays, he played tight end for the Patriots, yep. talked about how he had probably over 20 concussions in his career and, like, was blacked out a number of times and that, that sort of thing. He retired relatively young, 29, 30 years old. And so yep. you have these players that are still talking about, hey, this was my experience while I was playing and it continues to be a bad look for the league so I do think that putting some money into finding companies and maybe sourcing some new technology some other some places outside of the sports world um, can help I think maybe bring in some of the latest innovations and bring it into the world of sports because I think it's necessary at this yeah. point if football wants to continue to exist in its current form. Yeah, well, I mean, I I had seen uh, another helmet out there and it had made some rounds uh, maybe a few years ago. Uh, I want to know. I'm, I'm not super plugged into the sports world, so mm-hmm. I just want to know if this is still around, but it was basically meant to... Like, when, when you've got the helmet now, it's just basically a big chunk of plastic. Sure. This new one was, like, plastic, and then there was a layer of, like, flexible uh, kind of impact-absorbing foam or gel or something. Yeah. And then another layer of plastic so that when your head kind of goes in for the impact and, like, based on the way it's strapped around your head, mm-hmm. too, the helmet kind of absorbs and redistributes the impact energy yeah. so that your head is not being slammed and your brain isn't flying around, but the the helmet actually kind of kind of like takes the impact it, it, do you know about that helmet is that still around or what yeah did it take th- off or what happened i don't think it ever really took off my understanding of how current helmets work is that um you've got kind of the shell aspect of it and then the the pads that are kind of on the inside kind of uh, th- they custom inflate them to fit the head the way right. that they need to so that the head doesn't move around a ton in the helmet because that's also a big thing right um so they've constantly been evolving and updating it i, I never saw that one necessarily fully take off maybe yeah. the way that it should but i'll be curious to see what this what what it is moving for i read a book on uh, on just the subject of concussions in football not that long ago um and, and the, the interesting thing about it to me is that 
if if two athletes running at each other at you know full speed basically and they collide, it's the equivalent of a getting in a car wreck at about thirty to thirty five miles an hour. <laughs> now multiply uh, that over the number of games, over the number right. of seasons that people play. Obviously, football is going to be bad for you. I think it's just good that the NFL has finally stepped up and admitted that it's going to be bad for you. So now they're trying to find a solution to try to at least on some level prevent these head injuries and prevent um, athletes from you know having early onset dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that at a higher rate, which is currently happening for former NFL players. So yeah, we'll see what the uh, what the outcome of this uh, of this particular program is. Definitely, and you know you hope it it uh, you hope that the market for this like the need to solve this issue mm-hmm. is one that is temporary. It's not like an ongoing. Uh, market for people trying to solve this critical issue in right. the sport, you hope it's, you know, that there actually isn't in the future, like, a big, um, consistently evolving market around fixing helmets so people don't get concussions. Yeah. You hope that they solve that issue, and then maybe it's just people working off of the same standardized technology. Yeah, little tweaks rather than major revolutions, exactly. I suppose. Um, Daniel, I know you love a good EdTech story, so let's wrap up there Always, this morning. Man. How about that? So textbook publishing company Pearson announced it will be taking all, feature, all future updates to its existing textbooks online before releasing them in print. Big. Really big, because everybody who you know spent any time in college knows that the process of buying textbooks is a pain. Pain. And I worked at a textbook store in college, and one of the things that I learned was that textbook companies like Pearson and others will release an updated version of a textbook with maybe a page or two changed, but then you know phase out all of the older textbooks and make everyone buy a brand new one for $300 as opposed to buying the used one for $80 or $100 or whatever. Just a way for them to continue to make money. So I think a digital update first, first of all, feels like it benefits the consumer. But second of all, just seems like it's keeping in lockstep with the future of what's going on with EdTech in the first place, where more and more is going digital. It's going a little bit away from just having the hard copy of the book. I think this is probably a positive idea. Also, you're spending less money on publishing costs. Yeah. Well, let's let's think about school districts and how they invest in you know the perspective of higher education yeah often those costs get offloaded onto um onto the student and no one wants to be lugging around giant uh <laughs> textbooks to class right, it's just right. not it's not convenient and so many times i've purchased a textbook for hundreds and i open it maybe twice right twice so a downloadable version of that textbook instead I think is the right move. Now, we also have to think about it from the public education angle. Um, it, when we look at textbooks in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, a lot of districts have textbooks that are like 10 years old. You right, know, right. things that are outdated, especially when we talk about like history class, like how can you teach world history, <laughs> US history, when you've got a decade's worth of information that isn't even being taught right that is important um and updating an entire district's worth of books is so expensive right you know you have to think about the logistics of getting all those books shipped organized um parceled out to the right people that is just it, it's tough it's brutal now imagine all of that instead you get yearly maybe every other year updates to your textbooks that is huge. But again, 
also contingent on there even being technology accessible in these schools um, and there being funding for you know either um, tablets or little personalized MacBooks or computer labs, right? That's, uh, that's important. And I think if we want to update learning more quickly... We need to make sure that kids have technology, too. So we absolutely It's a do. layered issue, man. It is a layered issue, and it's about bringing uh, all the students' resources kind of under one umbrella. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, Daniel. I just got to end on, I'm a big fan of digital textbooks. I'm a big fan of digital <laughs> textbooks, too. I think my back would have been uh, much better oh as a kid. Oh, my God. But... You're telling me. <laughs> all right, everybody, have a happy Friday. Thanks for joining us for this.